shows are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Welcome to the Adventures in Tech Podcast. Talking the latest tips and trends in educational technology to innovate and engage your students. Here are your hosts, Andrew and Dan. Hello, welcome to episode number 11 of the Adventures in Tech podcast. My name is Andrew. And my name is Dan. And we are excited that you are uh, on this journey with us uh, for our podcast. And obviously, we always say, if you like the content, please help us out by providing feedback and rating on wherever you download your podcast from. We greatly appreciate your support. There's so much going on. We are in 2022. We're up to episode 11, Dan. And we've been back in classrooms. Talk to me about what's going on. A lot's going on. Just still continuing on what we've been working on in the past. Um, and it's actually gaining momentum and moving into other teachers. I guess they've been seeing what we've been putting out there, what we've been sharing. and it's they contagious. Wanna, it's contagious. So the ball is rolling and we're going to um, bring it into more and more classrooms. Just had a nice meeting today with a... Uh, High school social studies teacher. We started out, out with um, Google My Maps and creating uh, map layers, and she's continuing on with this one map and adding layers for each unit that they study. So the kids will have a self curated map of their entire learning experience um, in one place. So that's really exciting. I feel like Google My Maps is an underutilized tool in education. I don't think people use it enough. They just think of Google Maps for directions. Right. And go ahead. Go ahead. And uh, I'd say the great thing about it is as the students are building and designing these maps, they're not all collaborating on the map because, you know, that can get sloppy. Anytime you get a lot of hands in one pot, well, we know what happens there. But Google My Maps does have the ability to input information that's collected on a Google form. So the students can get into small groups. They can do their research. They can start developing their understandings to share, populate a Google form, which we can import into a Google My Map, and then start, you know, curating all of our learning in it in a Google My Map, which then helps the students really develop a geographical sense of what they're studying. And that's the key that I think people don't have an understanding of is using and utilizing the Google form to import into my maps. Mm-hmm. That is so powerful because, like you said, too many cooks in the kitchen can get sloppy, right? But the data from the Google form automatically populating onto the my maps with different layers and everything, it's just it's such a great tool. And, and what better way to demonstrate change over time in, in social studies? So it, it's a great tool, and I'm glad that we're – taking this entire year and putting it into a Google My Map. Yeah, that's great. We have a lot of things going on. We were uh, using the B-Bots, right, with kindergarten. Mm-hmm. Uh, so really getting back to the uh, the foundation, as we know, with our youngest learners, introducing them to coding, uh, coding terminology, you know, because we know the computer science standards are coming out for New York State specifically. So trying to get these kids, you know, some, uh, you know, a scaffold, some knowledge for them, uh, and then obviously level it up as they go on. So we started with the basics, but, you know, definitely the kindergartners had a great time using the B-Bots. So, that's been going on. 3D printing, we, I know we mentioned before, but we're really cranking things out now. We have a classroom that's actually building a 3D printer, a uh, sixth grade classroom. So that's, uh, you know, that they're going to utilize. They've uh, actually uh, used their socialized studies and made a museum of 3D printed artifacts based on. Very the, cool. Yeah, based on uh, Egyptian culture and, and that area. So, uh, you know, that's great. That's been going on. 
We're designing the golf course. We're full steam ahead, <laughs> made different iterations. The students have designed it. They've surveyed, uh, you know, five, six different elementary schools to see what the users really want in a golf course. And now they're starting to design, use design thinking mm -hmm. and build them out. And then uh, that build's going to be starting next week. And then they're going to get to play golf, uh, mini golf with the Spiro. We've been tagging Spiro in the tweets, the, the mini golf balls. So there's a lot going on. It's an exciting time, as long as we don't have too many hiccups with snow days in between. Right. We love snow days, don't get us wrong, right? But... Uh, you know, there's so much going on that it keeps us really busy, uh, you know, in that regard. We're having a lot of fun. And then the big news, all of our podcasting equipment is in. That's besides, exciting. And we have math talks coming. We have the museum, uh, you know, that we previously mentioned. They're going to be doing uh, some podcasts, you know, talks. So that's going to be, and you had mentioned it secondary as well. Right. So, so I know we were working with um, a ninth grade ELA class, and I think it started from one of our one of our podcasts teacher yep. got really excited about the uh, possibilities of audio and how that can really be effective in the classroom. So they've actually been listening to podcasts um, as a class and breaking them down, analyzing, using, and um, really sharing what they've learned in order to help them develop their skills to, to launch their own podcasts. Yeah. There's a lot going on. So, and it's just, I mean, audio is so powerful nowadays. Mm -hmm. You know, it's great in that regard. And the kids can really hear what a podcast really is. It's nothing crazy and anybody can do it. And that's the best part about it. <laughs> yeah. Anyone can do it. <laughs> I mean, look at us. We can do it. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, let's talk weekly wind up again. Not a ton of news that's come out with new features, but it's starting to wind up again. You know, now that we're, you know, into 2022 full steam ahead. And one thing uh, they're talking, there was a, a, a article on districtadministration.com regarding the top products of 2022. And what caught me, as I told Dan yesterday, uh, that really caught my attention was Class VR. And we've talked about VR and specifically how we are using Class VR to develop activities and experiences for our students. And they're saying that is one of the uh, the top twenty uh, top products of 2022. So, and and I can see why because it does create a, a an easily accessible platform to not only get content that's out there, but also to create your own content and put it into that platform. Yeah. And, and that's the best part about it is it is versatile. It's standalone platform and it brings that power of VR and AR makes it a reality for education. And, you know, that's kind of where we're at because there's a lot that can come into VR and AR and we understand that. But, you know, we've been talking about it for years and now this is really, to me, it feels like it's the total package for mm -hmm. teachers to use with students. It provides, you know, everything that teachers need to introduce the VR, AR into the classroom with devices, the headset management, the charging, it, it, teacher PD, it's just there and you can make it, you know, small group, you can make it large group. We know it's an investment, but let's be honest, it's the future of education and it's bundled together to make things a little bit easier for districts to dive in. Exactly. So what else is going on with the weekly windup? Well, I just wanted to bring people's attention to um, text help. If people are not familiar with text help, it really does provide support and accommodations for students all embedded into Chrome. Um, so it's easily accessible in all the Google workspace areas. Um, their privacy agreements are fantastic. I know they're, yep. they're FERPA, they're COPA. We, we, they're also EdLaw 2D compliant, um, and that goes over all their products. So I thought in this weekly windup, we can 
go through and just talk about some of the different products that they have and what that can offer in terms of support for both students and teachers. Yeah, so I'll start with one that I think has been the most popular one for TextHelp. So TextHelp.com, it'll be in the show notes, but read and write for Google Chrome. I think that's the one that Mm -hmm. most people are familiar with. It's that little purple puzzle piece with the RW if you've used the extension before. Uh, I know we push it out district-wide just, you know, to help students with all various abilities. So I really think that one really helps them, you know, read, write, express themselves independently. Another, you know, little, little crutch to help our students. So that, I'd say, is probably the most popular one that people know about, right? Right. And then I think we go into Equadio, which, you know, we've talked about, uh, you know, before with math and it's digital and accessible and uh, Google Forms. It can be used on Google Forms, you know. So, again, I say that's the f- one in 1A as far as popularity right. go. And I think I think uh, a lot a lot of people who are, are dealing with math and science with numbers and formulas should really check out all the things that Equadio has to offer. Um, providing math spaces in your Google Documents for students to work and in Google Forms, integrating Desmos, um, being able to have an equation editor, but I know sometimes that gets clunky, yeah. but it can do voice recognition of equations. It can do handwriting recognition of equations. So it really you know, creates a digital math workspace in, inside of your Google Documents, which I think it's fantastic. Yeah, it allows you to use that, the, the power of Google Docs with Equadio and Forms and everything else, the whole Google Workspace platform, and there's no tricky coding to master with Equadio, so it's very user-friendly. So, uh, And again, the one thing I want to mention before we talk about, I think Dan's favorite, or one of his right. favorites, is uh, text help. Just remember, as an educator, you can get it for free. Mm-hmm. So there is a paid uh, you know, version, but as long as you submit proof that you are an educator, it's free. Right. So and that's, that's, the that's key. just free 99, t- free 99 for mm. teachers. Students right. on the other hand, for all the, they have access to all these, but maybe not all the full premium right. features, the features, but the free access is, um, is pretty robust. Agreed. And Agreed. you know, they're very, they, they're, they customer support and everything is really strong. So reaching out to them for questions they're they're always offering trainings and webinars, um, another text help product that I think is great is Orbit Note. Um, so read and write for Google, you do have that um, screen reader that's right. in there. And that, that gets a little bit more difficult to use screen readers when you're working with PDF documents. Um, so through text help, they have Orbit Note where you can drag and drop a PDF file or open that PDF file from Google Drive and then use all your screen reader and read and write for Google tools on a PDF. So OrbitNote is a great product by TextHelp as well. Yeah, they have a couple others. Uh, you know, I have not uh, delved into SpeechStream, uh, which is one of their uh, uh, platforms, uh, you know, for assessments, and it's cloud-based with uh, for language and literacy. And then uh, I haven't done anything with Fluency Tutor. I can see no. the benefits with it, you know, to assess, especially if you're in the remote environment, right? Mm-hmm. Let, 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 that could be something that could be huge if the district wants to look at, your district wants to look into purchasing it or seeing it. It's going to, you know, assess student reading fluency, track progress. It'll give the extra support to struggling readers and English language learners. So they have a, a whole platform uh, of products. And Dan, your favorite, which I think is... It's not well known yet, nope. but it's going to catch fire. All right. You heard it here first for the week of <laughs> January 13th right here on the Adventures in Tech podcast. Dan, talk about RyQ. So I'm going to spend a, a few minutes to talk about RyQ. 
Um, RyQ is another one of their Google extensions that integrates directly into your Google Docs. Um, so what it does, and I'm just giving it a second to load up and just so I can talk about it, but what it does, it does an analysis of student work on your document. Um, there is a free version and there is a paid version. Um, so what you get with RyQ is the ability to analyze student work. Um, they have some rubrics that are incorporated into RyQ. So there's a narrative rubric, an informative and expl explanatory rubric, and an opinion argument rubric for their writing. Um, it will go through and analyze the document to talk about the average vocabulary age that's being used. Um, what's also nice, it tells you time on task. Which is huge. Uh, which is huge to see how much time students are, are spending in their work. Um, and then it will also um, identify uh, a spell check, a punctuation check, and also a grammar check. Those are paid features to break it down, but it does in the free version. Like if there's spelling problems, it will underline it in yellow. If there's punctuation, it will underline it in purple. If it's grammar, it will underline it in pink. Um, so it really does help break down student writing. And the thing that I like about is that we already mentioned is it is compliant with privacy agreements. Mm -hmm. You know, we we all see the ads for for Grammarly, and unfortunately, they have not signed any privacy agreements to my knowledge uh, in regards to New York State ed law, at least. But Text Help is you know definitely uh, educational friendly in that regard. So. Uh, definitely something to check out, texthelp.com. You can uh, then go obviously go to the Chrome Web Store to download uh, and install the extensions uh, that uh, you would like to have access to. And just if extension, you know, you can't install them yourself, reach out to whoever's in charge of your mm -hmm. Google admin. So, Okay, moving along in the windup. Um, this has been talked about. I think it's been in beta for a while. I, I, they, right. Google has mentioned that it is available, but they've just made a new update um, actually today, right? Yeah. Um, so live translated captions in Google Meet are now generally available. So last year they announced a beta for live translated captions in Google Meet. They're now making that generally available for select Google Workspace additions. So what this does is this is all activated by the individual in the Google Meet. So someone can't set this up, you know, the, the Meet organizer can't set it up the person watching the meet can turn on captions and then the um, captions can translate english meetings to french german portuguese and spanish really really touching base and and accommodating for those ell students so, exactly uh that's that's a great update and again uh it just you know rolled out uh starting uh now and then you know could take up to 15 days based on uh, how it's set up whether it be rapid or scheduled release domains so and, yeah and it's available to meetings um for google workspace business plus enterprise standard enterprise plus and the teaching and learning upgrade and google workspace for education plus customers got it uh google did have another update uh specifically for google classroom mm -hmm. and depending upon what your uh third-party student information system is uh, they are now supporting exporting to Follett Aspen uh, to export the grades directly to that SIS. And it's a one-way information push. It'll allow you to connect the district information system 
and Google Classroom to sync your roster, sync your grades, uh, and everything. It's it's available to U.S. and Canada. I know we don't use it uh, in our district, but uh, it, I'm sure there are districts out there that are specifically using uh, Followed Aspen as their uh, student information system. So now you'll be able to... Uh, you know, definitely sync automatically, and it's available immediately. So that's the nice part about that. That's great. And so um, coming up from Flipgrid, there is a Flipgrid Fresh Saturday party coming up on January 15th. Um, So what that is is a YouTube video that you can tune into, and you can join the Flipgrid engagement team for a Saturday party as they explore all the new Hashtag Flipgrid Fresh Features. So they, they will share updates and insights on insights you can use to level up the fun and creativity with Flipgrid, Flipgrid inside the classroom and beyond. Yeah, so, and if you uh, need to ever look back, use that hashtag and you'll be able to follow along mm-hmm. with what everybody is posting regarding Flipgrid Fresh. So, uh, all right, so we're talking, you know, this year, right, Dan, uh, mm-hmm. about engagement. Right. And student engagement, efficiency, effective. We've talked a lot about that. What are you thinking, you know, is is something that we want to look at in 2022 to really use video, use the power of audio? Just how do we really engage our students, uh, you know, because we're all in different things are changing by the moment exactly. in, in the landscape right now. Some, you know, we're remote, we're here, we're hybrid, we're there, you know, so things are changing. So we have to be flexible and ready to pivot, uh, you know, on, on the stop of a dime because things are changing because of the way the world is right now. So what do you got? What I have is some new PD put out by Screencastify. Um, and even if you're not a Screencastify user, um, I think this would still benefit you because instructional video is instructional video. Um, but they give, uh, and I'll, we put a link to it in the show notes, but nine instructional video techniques that drive engagement. So all about um, the power of um, sharing ideas with animated GIFs, adding audio to slides, stations with directions, building upon prior knowledge, uh, modernizing your classroom using uh, interactive questions to check for understanding, right. um, and, and a few more tips for that teacher looking to use video, um, instructional videos to engage their students. I mean, the, the pow- I mean, so long it's been called like the flip classroom or this right. or that. I think kind of these terms are, 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 have reached their end of life. You know, another term I think that reached its end of life is 21st century learning because we're in the 21st century. Like yep. it's just learning. It's just instruction. It's just pedagogy. We have um, schools, especially through the pandemic, have really developed a robust techno- tech, uh, infrastructure for technology. Um, teachers have been able to utilize it much more. So now it's just becoming part of our learning environment. So your physical space in your classroom um, and your digital space should should be equal. I think equal attention right. should be paid to both. Because again, as you mentioned, pivot. We're, we're, we're all in a, a place now where we will need to pivot on a dime. And being able to carefully curate those spaces and give it the attention it needs will just save teachers and, and students you know, the headaches of having to go from one platform to another. Yeah, and we don't have a crystal ball as to when things are going to change. And so engagement is extremely important because we know the outcome of student engagement 
it just improves student learning outcomes. Mm-hmm. That's that's as simple as it is. You know, the more engaged that your students are, your parents are engaged and they know what's going on, it's very, you know, it's closely linked to better better student behavior, higher academic achievement, and, of course, enhanced uh, social skills. So the more engaged you can make your students, the better off we're going to be. So speaking of engaging, we talk about boom cards. Right. And boom cards, uh, you know, in response to the recent school closures, they're now uh, offering, you know, all customers, uh, new customers, a 60-day free trial of the Essentials membership, which, you know, pretty much allows you to track up to 150 students. So if you're in that remote environment, it, they're giving you a free tool to kind of engage your students. Great. Um, so now as we're talking about engagement, um, I think it's a good time to segue into our discussion. Yeah. Um, so I, I wanted to talk about something that I was fortunate enough, and I think, a lot of people were fortunate enough to tune into if they were part of the Ditch Summit. Yep. Um, there was a great talk between Matt Miller and another educator, Nate Ridgway, about breaking the blockbuster model. You still have your blockbuster card? I don't, but I'd love to have one. I think- There's still one left somewhere in the country. In a world where video stores have all but disappeared. I remember years ago, I saw one when we were, when we were in Alaska, and I was like, oh. But... I, I wish I could find my Blockbuster card. Um, but anyway, it was talking about bre- breaking the Blockbuster model of education. So I thought that was inter- an interesting topic. As we talk, of, we talked a little bit of, um, about blended learning with Dr. Catlin Tucker. Um, we referenced her last week. Yeah. And so I thought we could build upon that and look at breaking the Blockbuster model for great techie learning, um, something put together by Nate Ridgeway. I do want to mention there is one Blockbuster still left in the in the world it is the last blockbuster and it's located in bend oregon and it is still uh the world's last remaining retail store using the blockbuster brand still there that's awesome so if you go to oregon go ahead and uh, check it out but it's still there one last blockbuster video that's great so a little bit about who nate is nate is a tech loving history teacher who is from avon indiana and he's a co-author of the book don't ditch that tech differentiation in a digital world he specializes in lesson design and differentiation and he's also licensed in history ed and mild interventions yeah one thing you know a quote that really came out of uh, you know, what Nate was saying, you know, with breaking the blockbuster model, that's going to be the name of his new book uh, that he's currently working on. It's the future of teaching and learning in a Netflix world. And mm-hmm. we, you know, we talk about blockbuster and now we're going to Netflix. Man, I had Netflix when it was still, you get them by the mail. Did you have that? I didn't. You know, you get the DVD sleeves, right? I mean, I'm talking DVD here. I was but. too cheap. <laughs> Now I have Netflix, though. (laughs) There you go. But, you know, the comment that came out of it was the pandemic has provided us with an opportunity to see where education is going. And I think as we take a step back and we really look at that, you know, yeah, we, we, we were thrust into a situation that we had no expectation for. But now as we can kind of reflect as educators, we can see that we kind of have that's the crystal ball. We know where things are going right. to go. Now it's how do we get to that point? And so let's look at, you know, getting an idea of where we need to go. Let's, you know, maybe take a few steps back and see where we've been. Yeah. Um, so I know we can toss around our ideas, but I'll use the uh, Blockbuster model because I think that really, um, it made some more sense to me. So there was something that he outlined called the movie theater model. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's, 
there are old practices in education that are out of date but can still be found in classrooms today, much like those Nickelodeons. The first theaters look very much like movie theaters we frequent today. So if we look at the movie theater model of a classroom, um, these are some of the examples that you would see if you were observing it. Um, Direct instruction is one of the main practices. Um, accessibility and pace of late of lessons. So those are three things that are happening. So in that movie theater model, the lessons are centered around the lectures that the teacher is given. The teacher determines what skills and content are considered, and the lessons are only available at school. Right. So that's the movie theater model. You got to go there. You got to do what you got to do. So that's how he's using that, you know, analogy is the movie theater is just like the school building. Exactly. And it kind of reminds me of, you know, years ago when I was working with teachers building up their digital space. And then at the time, you know, talking about the flip classroom. And, you know, I I, at that point, you know, there there wasn't too much understanding about it and or buy in right or buy in. And, you know, a lot of teachers were hesitant, like, well, what do I need? What do, what do we even need teachers for? If I'm just going to put my my stuff online, they, they can do whatever they want with it. Sure. Um, and I think the point was kind of missed. Like, all right, you know, and I remember someone saying, well, I wouldn't do that because I'm old school. So I'm, I, I at first I was taken aback by it. But then I thought about it. I'm like, what do you mean by old school? I'm like. Are you from 1952? Uh, is that what you're saying? Where the only means is that movie theater model where the teacher is the purveyor of the content because that is the resource that is there and is available for everyone. So you're telling me the best teachers at that time are the best teachers you had. If they had other ways of reaching more of their students and helping more of their students, they wouldn't capitalize on that. So I think that's one of the things like the movie theater model was limited to a time. And now we're past that time. Yep. And then he goes on to talk about the blockbuster model. So when we talk about the blockbuster model, content is centered only on textbook use. Classroom rules are set and standardized. So, for example, late penalties for work are a good example and discourage students from turning in late work. Mm -hmm. Right? It's kind of like you got a fee for not returning your blockbuster video. I've had a few of those. (laughs) Giving students grace can be powerful in the classroom and with learning. So students' learning experiences in the blockbuster model are limited to what's physically available in the classroom. And the pace of learning is variable, though it's modified for the whole group. So you're renting a video, same idea. You get to pause, rewind. You know, you can uh, watch it multiple times before the due date. So the pace of learning is variable. Uh, it is modified for the whole group, but it's not individualized for students. So Right. And I think that's a lot of where we were, um, especially pre-pandemic, yep, was, was having that you know, we were still centered around the physical classroom. Correct. There was, um, people were branching out using technology to provide, um, opportunities for students, um, outside of that physical space. But that was definitely, um, that pace and that learning and everything was modified for the whole group. And it was very, and not so much for individual student needs. Right. And now, We've pivoted, and now we're talking about the streaming model. Right. So it's it's just like that that moment I felt free when you convinced me to dump cable. <laughs> <laughs> I did do that. You did. Touché, I, w- right? I was tied to cable, and it took me a very cut long cord, time Dan. to, cut the, to cut the cord. And so um, when I cut the cable and went into the streaming model, um, one, it was just fantastic because I saved money. and But also because of the flexibility. I so. think, too, when we talk streaming, I mean, and again, 
like you said, pre-pandemic and even now, I still think there are a lot of people that are still holding on to those cable boxes and those remotes and they the subscription because they don't know what's going to happen with the change with cable. Right. Oh, I got to use this platform. I got to use an app, whether it be Roku or Fire TV or YouTube or whichever. I think there's still that hesitation because as a society, we don't, we don't adapt well to change, but that's kind of what we've had to do. So right. we have to move forward in that regard. So I think as we look at the streaming model, and especially if we think about how we stream things today, um, we are personally curating our entertainment sources yep. um, for what is going to bring us the most joy or what is going to be the most effective for us or how we can you know, access information that we need to, to move on and learn. So I think um, we're all learning to that we have all this content on demand for a variety of different purposes that we can access anywhere, anytime. Maybe I want to read about something. Maybe I want to watch a video about person something. Maybe I want to find a network or a group chat. Maybe I need to reach out to an expert. I have all these options in the streaming world in order to access, apply, information. So taking that model into the classroom um, really is is the most logical step if we really want to meet the needs of our students and make them prepared and successful for a world that we don't even know what's going to look like when, when they're in there. So, right. um, you know, so that streaming model, I, I, I'm going to move away from terms like flip classroom and all that, but he puts in a good point called the clone classroom. And I think that's what we keep, we've mentioned a few times is classrooms have a parallel physical and digital present the presence that can be accessed anywhere, anytime. Right. And that's, that's kind of where I think most districts were when they started school back in September. Right. You know, I don't think there were many that had, were all, all remote or all hybrid or whatnot. I, they really think that that clone classroom and you have that space it's just so, you know, I don't want to say easy, but it's, it's just another avenue that gives students the information at their fingertips when they need it. Right. So you really, when you're, when you're creating that digital space, you want to have as much as possible everything from the physical classroom available on demand online. So that could be as, you know, ways to do that is what is happening in that physical space can easily be transferred to the digital space few things of uploading some files, uploading your notes, sharing your presentations, recording short snippets of your video as you, of your instructions with video, screencastify again, and then pushing that out to your your digital learning space is really going to be able to capture everything that's happening um, and then it will be on demand for students. And it's not overly challenging to do that. So if you're, you know, let's just say you're standing in the front of a classroom, you're recording a uh, a math lesson, uh, on ratios, right? You're going to do some sample problems for your students as you're doing your instruction. You just, you know, you, you have your display technology, you have your, your pen tools right there. All you're doing is hitting the record button on Screencastify going for three, five minutes, right? We don't want to, you know, bore them with videos because they got to be short uh, and engaging as we're speaking about. And then you stop it, you continue with the students but then you have that if they need that to look back for whatever the case may be. They didn't really understand it. Kids that are absent right now, as we know, absences mm -hmm. are on the rise. So it's just it's so powerful to have that, especially I know we're, we're you know really saying with Screencastify, but whatever video platform and recording you're using to have that availability and that access 
that's really cloning the classroom and it's not that many extra steps. Exactly. But what those extra steps do and what that um, attention to is creates so many more learning opportunities for students. So we've talked in two episodes about PBL, right? right? So getting that PBL out there, we talk about student choice. We've talked about blended learning. All of this will be easier for students and for teachers if you are carefully curating your digital space. I mean, I'll be honest, it, a lot of the work now is going to be front-loading experiences. Right. Um, but investing the time in the beginning is going to free up time on the back end. You're not planning day-to-day. You have a bigger picture in mind. You have your milestones along the way. You have resources for students to be engaged that do not always have to be led by the teacher. They can, they can use their own inquiry. They can use their own collaboration with their peers. Um, you can... Success, you can get formative assessment without you having to be the purveyor of everything um, with these digital tools. So going back to, we have tools available that make the classroom and learning experience more fulfilling for everyone, which makes me think of now Universal Design for Learning, UDL, right? How do we meet the needs of our students? If you look at some of the learning guidelines for UDL, providing multiple means of engagement. Yep. Check. Providing multiple means of representation. Check. Yep. Providing multiple means of action and expression. So that all that student choice. Check. So looking at that streaming model, I love the way it does it. It provides you more opportunities to reach more of your learners. Right. And I think it, it addresses a question that we talk about and we hear about all over there, and that's equity. Mm-hmm. It's really going to address the equity across different demographics and different districts and across the entire country, the world, and so forth as we try to Uh, engage and instruct our students, you know, and we want our instruction to be dynamic and flexible and focused on growth and the equity component. If we're using the streaming model, it's really going to make sure that uh, education is emphasized at the forefront to make things equal. And then combine them with some of the tools that we talked about earlier with text help and boom cards and so forth. Right. We're really able to allow students to take more ownership um, to look at what they need in order to be successful. Right. The last thing, Dan, uh, I just love, I'm going to let you touch base about this, but zombie hunches about homework. Oh, I love that. It's great. So, you know, and we talk some ideas about homework just don't go away, even though they've been shown to be false. So, yeah, homework is definitely a a heated topic. And especially, you know, um, you know, I've, I've read a lot about the, the, the effectiveness of homework. Um, I think, uh, uh, it escapes me right now, some of the books, but really is, is homework even valuable? Right. You know, there's some ideas about homework that just don't go away, even though they have shown to be false. Um, homework teaches accountability. Yep. Okay. Students who do homework are inherently good. Mm-hmm. I mean, that sounds like an interesting statement, but I think that definitely has an, uh, an impact. Like that student that consistently turns in their homework somehow has a favorable, it, it gives that impression. It's perception. That, that, that perception. Um, but, who, you know, there's so much going on in an individual student's life that I, I, I don't think we should be jumping to those conclusions. Nope. Um, lots of homework is a sign of rigor. Could be. I guess. I guess. Um, and students are motivated by behaviorism. That, that's that's a society assumption, I'd say there. So so one of the things about homework that I always come back to is like homework for for all of these purposes. And you say, well, it reinforces what you're teaching in the class. 
Um, it does all those things. But I think about the whole idea of homework and essentially you're sending students to do something on their own that is at the highest level of learning so that you're taking them to take something that they've learned um, or become familiar with, think critically about it, and then apply it on their own. And that is at the upper levels of thinking and application. And right. to me, that part is where a teacher is needed most, right? Especially now, the teacher is not needed most to deliver the content. The teacher needs to, and the teacher needs to find effective ways and meaningful ways and great ways of delivering the content. But I think the more powerful role for the teacher is to be there at that analysis part. So when you're sending the homework home, it's kind of taking the teacher out of the most important part. So yep. that clone classroom with, with videos and all those support materials and all those networks for peer support and, and everything that's out there that you can do with discussion boards and questions and this and that in that digital environment is going to maybe help the student feel less isolated when they're trying to apply it, cut down on frustration levels, finding those opportunities in the classroom to work with the students or students, if they are working on their own, have a bank of resources available on demand that's reflective of the practices that's happening in the classroom, not just go watch this Khan Academy video right. or go read this on the line or search how to do it, but it's actually curated and created by the teacher to support exactly what's happening in the learning design of the classroom. Right. It's providing the tools to basically level the playing field for the students, you know, because we don't know, again, the equity component of who has the support system at home with the mm -hmm. parents, right? We don't know that. We, we may not have that intel and information. So this, it, using this, you know, this model, uh, you know, with the streaming model is a way of leveling the playing field for these students with the clone classroom. So, you know, Absences aside, just learning, good teaching in general, the right. streaming model is, is definitely something we want to look at. And, and just to wrap it up, I know we're going a little long on time, but a lot of what we've been discussing and, and how we're working with students and w where we see education going, they're not all separate things. PBL is not separate from UDL. Right. To, to creating a blended classroom, yep. to you know going into you know, leaving the blockbuster model behind and going to the streaming model. They're all connected. Um, it comes with instructional design and really sit, sitting out there and planning out, you know, what do students need to understand? What do they need to know? And what do they need to do? Let's take it to those those three different things. Start from start from the end. Find a way for them to, to find an authentic audience and perform and create a performance assessment that you can really see their understanding and then work backwards from there and build up the resources in your digital learning space to support that. All right. We're going to wrap up episode number 11. Dan, any final thoughts? Uh, nope. I think I've given enough today. <laughs> Dan's getting off his soapbox. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I think I fell through my soapbox. <laughs> Once again, thank you all for your support, listening on all the platforms, wherever you get your podcast, leading us a review. If you have any questions, comments, suggestions, please reach out to us. Tech hard, work smart, live in adventure. Find Andrew on all socials at a Nicola tech and Dan at WCSD tech DR. 